I personally, for sure, have ADHD. And I think that combo of ADHD and an autistic spouse, in some ways, we really complement each other well like that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I have to remember that the life we created is a little stretch for him beyond what his natural tendency for connection would have been. He would have been one of those engineers who could have lived alone and been happy with that as well. He could have been okay, but he's choosing you. you. He's choosing his family. My gut instinct is to smooth the way for my Aspies, right? To make things easy for my family members, but it's not always to their benefit. And it definitely isn't to mine. I really became his emotional helper, which is good for him, bad for me, because he missed that opportunity to really learn how to emotionally regulate himself. It can look like your partner is not interested in making the relationship better. This is season three of the Your Neurodiverse Relationship podcast, which is for adults in all kinds of neurodiverse relationships, not just romantic partnerships. I'm your host, Jody Carlton, and I've spent close to two decades growing in my understanding of how our different brains influence the way we understand and relate to each other. Through the years, I've helped several thousand people understand themselves and their loved ones. This podcast is a place where I come together with others to talk about their journeys. I've got a great lineup of guests talking about things like masking, traits of neurodivergent folks, traits of neurotypical folks, what kind of things cause difficulties in our neurodiverse relationships, but also some of the wonderful things about our neurodiverse relationships. Also, this season is a video cast where you can enjoy watching on YouTube or you can listen to us on the podcast like you have before. If you're really enjoying this podcast and if you've gotten something out of it, please leave us a review because reviews really matter. And we want to get this out there to as many people as possible so they can benefit from it just like you. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to subscribe so you'll get notifications of upcoming podcasts and other videos that I post there as well. Welcome. What will we talk about today? Hello, Melissa. I'm really glad that you're here today. Melissa's been in my Facebook group for a while and has been one of my moderators. And she and I have chatted a few times and I'm glad you decided to be here today. So Welcome. And why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about you and why you decided to be on the podcast? Awesome. Thank you. My name is Melissa. I have been married to my favorite neurodivergent person in the world since we were just babies. We've been married for about, this will be our 25th year uh, in a couple of months. We have three of course, neurodivergent kiddos ourselves. <laughs> and I also fall a little bit on the neurodivergent spectrum. I would say I have ADHD, but I have at least two members of my family that are identified as autistic and I adore them. I just wish that the world could understand them a little bit better. I wanted to come and be on the podcast because I have struggled through different seasons throughout our marriage. Any long marriage does for sure, but we've had that added spiciness that autism can add to a marriage and trying to raise neurodivergent kids. I really just wanted to come on the podcast to kind of share some encouragement and some tips, some things that work for us, but also share that when you're in those hard spots, there can be hope that things can get better. Um, there are things you can do to help your needs get met. And even though it feels like sometimes you're doing 
90% of the emotional work in your family, you are, but it can be worth it still. And for me, it is at least. So I just wanted to come on and give a little encouragement, give a little insight on what's worked for our marriage over the years. I don't really plan on going anywhere this month. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) We have this little joke in the state we live in after 22, 23, 24 years, somewhere around there. You have financial parity until retirement, and which works out really good for me, right? And I'm like, don't push me because I get half for whatever. <laughs> okay. So we have a little joke. We kind of joke about it. He knows we joke about it, but it's it's hard. Every day is, it's kind of cliche, but it's a choice to stay here and do the work, to be in a place where we can laugh and have fun together. But it's, for me, it's worth it. So you said you think you're somewhere in that neurodiverse spectrum. You've got the two kiddos. And I just wanted to highlight that neurodivergence is a different brain from the typical brain. Actually, a video about the bell curve <clears throat> when it comes to the way the brain processes information or whatever those traits are that That's we look true. at for neurodiversity. You've got the neurotypical folks who are at that top of that bell curve, which is the larger majority of the population. But then you've got your neurodivergent folks down here at the edges. And some of those traits are X, like extra capabilities. Some of the, what I call the superpowers, just the really amazing capacity to do or whatever. On the other side, you've got some difficulty, some challenges, some traits, some things that are missing that other people have. But the thing is with neurodivergence, it's about those differences. And so we've got autistic neurodivergence, which is like a certain combination of all those traits. We yep. also have ADHD neurodivergence and learning disabilities and just all sorts of different things. So what you're talking about with your family there is you've got just a whole lot of mixed neurotypes there and you've got a cocktail of it differences. Is. Is. And I think, honestly, my husband and I were both identified as gifted learners through school or whatever. We consider ourselves to be pretty lifelong learners, smart people. That's part of why we get along so great is that we just have this kind of sense of humor and shared background and knowledge about stuff. So I think that some of the traits really overlap with neurodivergence too, right? When you're trying to get a kiddo diagnosed, you have that overlap. Is it a gifted thing? Is it an autistic thing? Is it an ADHD thing? Is it an autistic ADHD thing? Is it just gifted? Is it not gifted? Or is it? So <laughs> I think some of that is that neurodivergent feathers flock together a little bit too. I personally, for sure, have ADHD. And I think that combo of ADHD and an autistic spouse, I've seen that more than once in our group. In some ways, we really complement each other well like that. I actually see that combination a lot. And yes. there is something about some of those overlapping traits that you have in common that yep. connect people, then the challenge can be is that both the autistic neurodivergent and the ADHD have some executive dysfunction difficulty. Yep. Can you speak to that and what that's been like in your relationship? About the like executive function difficulties? Okay, marriages have that fight. The fight that happens over and over again. For us, it is um, about being messy me specifically being messy. <laughs> so I am a million projects at one time kind of person. I also am the primary parent for our kiddos. So, and I have to pull that and put that away. Uh, so there's that kind of 
linear process for him. Start, middle, end. Meanwhile, I literally actually go and buy more laundry baskets occasionally because the laundry is still in laundry baskets and I can't find an empty laundry basket. And that drives him batty. And our workspace right now, I'm in my husband's office because I can't do a video in my work studio because it is way too cluttery to even have a spot. Just got the phone down. <laughs> and that drives him crazy. As an ADHD person, I try to be respectful of his need for order and keep the island cleaned up or whatever. But honestly, sometimes it just gets out of control because all of our kids are in a vision queue. Do you have 83 million Legos on your coffee table? I do. Sometimes I'll just sweep everything into these boxes and I'll be like, oh, I will sort through those when I get a minute. Oh, Lord, they're called boxes of dooms in our house because I have many of them. And I know where stuff is, though, right? If I need to find a permission slip or a school, I know where that is. It drives him completely bad. And he gets pretty frustrated about it sometimes. He'll be like, would you like me to help you? I can just throw it away. And I'm like, no. That's like devaluing everything that feels important to me about making memories. And there's like school projects in there that should go in the school mm-hmm. bin. There's school pictures in there. Maybe there's a card I want to say to me, just throwing it all away is like devaluing everything about creating yeah. a family memories tradition that's important to me. Mm-hmm. And plus, maybe there's like a crochet project I'm working on. I don't know. No, you can't just throw that away. There's stuff in there, right? Um, it is a constant source of frustration for us. And I try to explain to him, like, I am not doing this intentionally. My brain works like this. Like, I interrupt projects. I set them down. I start other projects. This is how my brain works. I'm not doing this intentionally to, like, eight you We had worked with an autism-specific marriage counselor for a couple of sessions at the beginning of the pandemic when we were home a lot. And honestly, I was like, I don't know if I can keep doing this life like this. I was really in that mode where I just felt like so criticized all the time. Just like, if you are not happy here, if the kids stress you out, if I stress, why are you here? If you just cannot get around being happy around us, like, why are you here? And the beautiful thing was is she was able to finally after 22 years can get the point across to him that offering to throw away the boxes is the opposite of offering to help to me that feels devaluing it feels debasing it feels like you don't understand what's important to me she was able to communicate like maybe what Milis really needs is for you to take something off of her plate so that she could spend half an hour to go through one of those boxes whatever so that it could be a priority to her or she needs you to speak more clearly like it's stressing me out that our foyer looks like a loading dock can you handle that by Friday and I can handle that by Friday right just for him to be really clear because that's been a hard thing as an adult on the autism spectrum in our generation growing up in the 70s and 80s He didn't get many tools or supports to understand his own dysregulation. Um, He didn't get tools or supports to understand how to communicate very well with other people. He was a typical nerdy band kid outsider. And we met in high school and he really didn't have, beginning when we met, I really became his 
emotional helper through there, right? Through helping him navigate through those situations, which is good for him, bad for me, because he missed that opportunity to really learn how to emotionally regulate himself, to learn how to be like, oh, I am stressed out and overwhelmed. I need to be aware of that before I do a figurative kick the dog, we call it. Just where he goes, man, and he starts moving things with his foot. And I'm like, all right, I know you don't mean to be looking like you're kicking things out of anger, but that's how it looks like for everyone else, right? And you don't know that because you're dysregulated, but you don't know how to check in with yourself and be like, oh, I'm at a nine right now and I need to take a break. He doesn't have that skill still, even now as like a 40-something-year-old man, right? So that's really hard. And that is something that I struggle with is that not only am I, like the emotional barometer for my kids, which, you know, a lot of moms are, right? But mm-hmm. I end up being an emotional barometer for him to mm-hmm. insulate the kids from his dysregulation sometimes. I'm going to go back to what you described as your your style of putting everything in the box of doom. I love that. I think the organized chaos is like the flagship of ADHD. When you said... I know what's in there and I know where it is, but it's still a chaotic situation. That's so common for ADHD. And then what you're describing, though, about him, there were two things that I heard. One is the more regimented, linear structure thing. Everything has its place. Everything has a time to do it. The other thing that I heard was the less nostalgia, which is also a common trait of not only neurodivergent men, autistic neurodivergent. I would say sometimes my females too, but, but that's something that I really see that the two different neurotypes can struggle with in relationships is that nostalgia. He's just seeing it as a box of doom. It's a box of trash. I was just talking to David Glick, who's another one of my podcast guests. He was talking about that, um, those coping skills and how it's so important that even adults learn he coaches people how to learn how to engage frontal lobes of the brain. We talked about the pause button. In my communication program, that's a huge thing that's important for both partners. But because pressing that pause button, somebody's becoming dysregulated. That's what interrupts the whole limbic system fight or flight process. That's really hard for me because in any conversation we have, I get more emotional automatically anyway. So for me to be like, okay, we need to stop and come back to this. Um, And for me, there's all this history and things that I need to work through when we're having this conversation. But to him, it's just like dollars and cents, like literally black and white kind of thing. And so it's hard sometimes because I have to be almost like the executive function for both of us. So here's something that I've learned over time. When he is feeling disconnected from me or he knows that I'm frustrated or upset about something, he doesn't always know what it is. He rarely knows what it is. And it's not because I'm like being obtuse or stereotypical female. Not like that at all. He has no idea what it is. He does this thing that I call pecking because it feels like pecking at me, but he's really just begging for connection. He just really knows the connection is broken and he doesn't know what's going on. And so she'll be like, I love you. I love you. I love you. But over and over, we'll be in the same five minutes. And I'm like, stop. I love you too. Stop. So I've learned to say, what do you really mean? What do you really want to say? What do you really need to say? And I have to 
coach him through that process a little bit. Do you mean to say that you're feeling frustrated? Do you mean to say that you feel like I'm feeling disconnected? And that is sometimes, man, that is dang frustrating because I feel like, why am I doing all this work? It's not like I am married to a child. I am married to a full grown man, but sometimes it's very frustrating because I do feel like I have to coach him through it in the same way you would your kids. So what I'm hearing here is that there, there's a, the language of emotion. It's an input information system. It's a language. And he never learned it well, at all. He didn't yeah. learn it. There, there is some degree of, of ability to learn. Yes. Our autistic child is going to do, be in such a better place when she is our age mm-hmm. because she's had the coaching and the ability to like, mm-hmm. oh, what I'm feeling is this. This experience what the sensation is i'm having the thoughts i'm having with it just basically pull it all together a lot of people who aren't really skilled in the language of emotion and don't understand it see it as a nuisance and problematic it's something that gets in the way of logic when emotion is an information source it's just as important as facts and data it is a form of data it's a more abstract form of data that's one of the why early intervention is so important for children who are identified as being neurodivergent or having some traits, the early we can teach to connect those dots between, okay, this is what my body does. This is what I physiologically feel when this situation happens and these thoughts are going right there with it. Oh, that's what that means. And then the next step to that is the regulation of the emotion. So when I do experience this, how do I regulate it so that I can express it other times? How do I regulate it? Some people who are autistic neurodivergent or just alexithymic, which is not just in the autistic population, right. but alexithymic who really have that disconnect, mm-hmm. when they see their partners or a family becoming very emotional, it's like you're saying with your husband, I don't know what's happening. He doesn't have that ability to connect the dots within himself. He doesn't know what's happening with you. So he's just trying to run a script of code. It's like running a script of code, honestly, with fine little tuning. Is it? No, that's not quite right. Okay, let's try again. You were saying that you're carrying the emotional load. And it sounds like to me, you're the one that speaks the language. And so you're having to translate for that language. You translate to help him understand what's happening. If you can give him a script that's different versus cueing him in that moment yeah. of what to do. I have another couple, actually. And when I was coaching them, I banned I love you from the conversation. Oh. They were like, what? We need to be able to say I love you. And I'm like, no, we're going to ban the conversation. We're going to ban those words for a whole month so that you can in that moment stop and think, like you just said, what do I actually want to say here? Do I want to say I'm scared? I'm uncomfortable. I don't know what to do. I'm nervous, you know, what, and those are all feeling words. I see that you're stressed. I don't know how to help. I'm sorry. I don't know what to do. It forces the, you know, pause and the reflection versus I'm going to engage the script. And then you maybe without realizing it, reinforcing it by feeding him. This is what to do. That is a good idea because if I get frustrated and I feel we have the conversations again, obviously, when it's not emotionally, whatever. But man, sometimes it is hard because I'm like, we've had this conversation. And we still fall into the same patterns. Sometimes even when they have the tools, it's hard for them to remember to engage To remember them. to use them. 
It's like muscle memory. It's like any habit that's learned. And so it takes time practicing it, doing it over and over again before it starts to engage as the Mm -hmm. habit. Mm -hmm. Uh, You said it's, it's, it's something that repeats in relationships. We get into those cycles, but it only takes one person changing the pattern. Systems theory is the concept that only one part of the system changes. The whole system has changed. So even if you change up what you do or how you respond to him, that's going to change up the whole dynamic. Empowering, actually. That's the empowering part. That is actually part of one thing that began to improve my marriage and also make it harder was probably five or six years ago, I really began to get into some therapy for myself and looking at family of origin stuff and what in the world was it that drew me to someone who was so steady mm-hmm. <laughs> but couldn't meet my emotional needs? Why was I so prepared to be nearly codependent with this person? What was it about how I grew It's frustrating because he doesn't have the desire to do any of that work himself or learn any of his stuff. But it just by me making some of those changes, by me understanding it more clearly, I was able to stop some of the pretty unhealthy stuff that we had going on. And I was really able to be like, okay, I'm more empowered to be like, you know what? Actually, my needs are important to you. I've spent maybe 18, 20 years setting them aside so that I could just make things easy and calm for you. But I'm not going to do that forever. And I'm stopping now. And it's still hard. It's still a struggle because my gut instinct is to smooth the way for my Aspies, right? To make things easy for my family members, but it's not always to their benefit. And it definitely isn't to mine. I can relate to that. I totally understand what you're saying. And the thing is, the easier it is on them, the less they're learning to cope and develop their own coping skills. In the moment, it may make things easier, but in the long run, it's actually disabling for everybody. It's great that you went and got some work on yourself. I want to circle back to what you said, because I hear this all the time. My partner doesn't want to put in the work. My partner doesn't want to make the effort. Here's the thing. Neurodivergent effort and work looks really different than the type of work that you're doing. Yeah. Deep, deep dive, the deep dive yeah. into yourself and your family of origin stuff. I wouldn't even say that's a gender difference because I've seen men who really yeah. go. But for a lot of neurodivergent folks, it's not something that they're really going to be able or want to do. But that doesn't mm-hmm. equal not wanting to make an effort. We all follow through with what motivates us. We're motivated by getting more of what we like, but we're also very motivated by consequences. All of us are motivated by consequences. And for somebody like you who likes to get in there and understand, it it can look like your partner is not interested in making the relationship better, but he may not need that deeper level understanding of things. I'm that way. I'm going to reference David again because I just taped podcasts with him. So it's all fresh in my mind. Him being the neurodivergent and me being the neurotypical, he was saying in his coaching work that he just focuses primarily on the what. What do we do to solve this? What do we do to fix this? And there's not a whole lot of focus on the why. And I'm like, okay, I, as the neurotypical, 
really like to dig into the why with people and even with myself. Let's look at the why so we can get to the what. And it's not like he doesn't understand it and he doesn't go there, but it's not where his focus is, even in his coaching. Yeah, I know you're totally tracking. And I think one thing, too, that helped me was also coming to the understanding, really like the gut understanding, is that he might not need as much from the marriage. His idea of perfect marriage and perfect level of emotional intimacy might be like here. And mine might be off the chart compared to his. I had to come to understanding he could be perfectly content with our relationship and our marriage. Even if I'm completely miserable, his needs would still be met. He would still have enough of the relationship, the connection, the partnership. Even if I was like rolling in the muck miserable about it, right? Um, And I had to come to that. We just sometimes have different needs, different levels of needs that are going to be met in that situation. I'm coming to the point where it's okay. I understand that. I (laughs) adore my husband and he adores our kids. He is a good dad and a good provider. He probably isn't as emotionally connected to them as I dreamed that my kid's dad would be, but they're fine, right? Um, And our kids are going up with a hilarious sense of humor. They know their dad's here for them, whatever. I also think that in different circumstances, he would have been happy not having a family and maybe even not having a wife. He would have been one of those engineers who could have lived alone and been happy with that as well. So for him, sometimes I have to remember too that the life we created is also just in itself a little stretch for him beyond what his natural tendency for connection would have been. I don't want to make it sound like he doesn't want our kids or not, like none of that. He adores our kids. Being a mom to me was something that I knew I was going to do when I was not 10 years old. That was going to be a part of my life. And I knew that. I don't think that he had that same drive. That is an interesting dynamic when you realize, okay, maybe in a different life, in a different story, in a parallel universe, this guy might have been happy being by himself too. But he's here and he's showing up and he's doing the work and he's providing for our family and he's doing all of these hard things for him. Let's break that down because I know that there are many people who are would have been content and fulfilled in their lives. What you just said though, when you said it's hard, he could have done without me. That's the meaning. I have my communication program where I go through the stages of communication and the meaning that we assign to something is what hurts us the most is how we interpret that. So what I'm hearing from you is your interpretation of that is like, he'd been okay with me, be okay without me. That hurts. Am I not that valuable to him? However, I want to reframe that for you because to me, the value that he has in you is even bigger because he could have been okay, but he's choosing you. you. He's choosing his family. He's choosing to stick around. And so that to me, it's less of a, I had to have a wife and family in order to be a whole person. So you're the one that ended up in my world. Right. It could have been a whole person without this, but I chose you. I don't feel that way. I don't feel disposable. He picked me. So I know that. And he's choosing to stay. He's choosing to create this life with me. And I love that. I just acknowledge that it is maybe not. 
fulfilling to him in the same way that it is to me to have this marriage and this life and this family. I appreciate that he shows up and that he's here and he's doing the work. And when I'm struggling with feeling like my needs aren't getting met, that's one thing that really helps reframe it for me is to really focus on the things I super do appreciate about him and that yeah. I see he's doing. For instance, today it's snowy where we live and really icy. Cars are sliding off the road all over the place. That never happens to me or anyone in my family because he is super great about making sure we have all-wheel drive vehicles and we have snow tires and stuff. He is great about that, right? This morning, I drove the kids to school and I came home and I just told him, I just want to tell you, I appreciate that I drove to school today with zero problems. And I saw people pulled off on the side of the road, slide offs. And I appreciate, I know you do that for us. I know that you make sure that we have some car to drive, whatever. But my point is that if I stop and appreciate the things that I see that he does, that are uniquely his skills and talents, that are ways that he's serving our family, that aren't loading the dishwasher or taking me out on a date night, things that are more coached from me, but things that are really his innate talents and the things that he cares about deeply um, and that he does for our family and ways he serves our family. It's easy for me to overlook those things, but I really need to stop and say, I actually super appreciate that. I appreciate that I have not had a check bounce in 26 years. For an ADHD person, that's amazing. That is a feat. That's really good. That's because he manages like our accounts and he gives me a heads up. Hey, you only have a couple hundred dollars until next payday. So slow your yeah. roll. Yeah. The reality is, Melissa, that no partner in, in a couple relationship is going to get 100% of their needs met. And that's because yeah. our such different human beings. We are. Yeah. Different sets of needs and different sets of abilities that we bring to our relationships. A lot of times we go into a relationship thinking that partner is going to be what fulfills us and, and yeah. that those needs are going to get met when really... When you got two people who choose to be in partnership together and to do life together, who are very different human beings, those needs are going to be different. And at times, there's just not going to be alignment. Now, is there alignment? I talk about deal breakers and what really matters to me. And you know what? It would be great if this was met for me, but I can live without sure. that. You really just have to look at because truthfully, every single relationship needs are not going to all get met. They're just not. Yeah. Yeah. They they really, they aren't. And it's hard when you're like, okay, but if you're my person and you're supposed to be my needs, it's hard. We grew up together really in some ways because we got married in college when we were 21 and we were in evangelical Christian culture at that time. That was really a time of his needs and her needs and marriage conferences and very, you know, what, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, like whatever, right? And I feel like specifically men are supposed to be the spiritual lead of the house and make the decision you're supposed to defer to them. That was really a struggle for me because I could defer all day long and there were still some things he just doesn't care about or care about leading for. Okay, folks, don't hate me for cutting you off right there. Melissa goes on to have a really in-depth conversation with me about her faith and how it has evolved and changed through the years, and how she and her husband have been on that journey together. I felt like it deserved its own episode. So many of you are going to relate to Melissa, so be sure and tune in in two weeks 
to hear the rest of my conversation with Melissa. Thank you so much to all of my guests of season three of the Your Neurodiverse Relationship podcast. These folks are bringing their lives to you to help all of you out there who are trying to figure out your own relationships. If you'd ever be interested in being on a podcast, just email us at gethelp at jodycarlton.com. Also, be sure to visit me online at jodycarlton.com to see all the resources that I have available to you. Until next time, 